The Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at The Strad. In our quest for virtuosic brilliance and flair in our music making, as string players, sometimes we forget that coming back to basics is important for solving many problems in our playing and performance. I think it's pretty common for people to get distracted by the complexities of a particular obstacle, or perhaps try and tackle too many problems at once, leading to a sensory overload. Or perhaps overcoming challenges in string playing is just so overwhelming and anxiety-inducing that you don't know where to start. Here to chat with me in this episode is cellist Gabrielle Schwaber, who is also a cello professor in Cologne and Maastricht. He advocates an awareness or scanning of one's playing and setup to pinpoint simple ways to solve problems and unlock one's playing potential. He shares his favourite strategies, provides a few examples of how basic things have helped his playing and his students, as well as some useful exercises to stay on top of his playing. Have a listen. Gabrielle, welcome to the Strad Podcast. I'm very excited to be talking with you today about unlocking your playing and your playing potential with the use of basics. I think in string playing, there is a lot of emphasis, you know, unofficially on virtuosity and flamboyance and like, wow, look at that person play. But sometimes it's good just to come back to basics and focus on something quite simple. So first of all, Tell me, what do you mean by basics? What is basics for you? Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, really looking forward to this uh, discussion. And I think we tend to separate uh, usually a bit too much between technique uh, and something maybe that we, we would associate with the word basics and music making. Uh, and I think the more we can uh, dispense with that notion, uh, the better for our playing. Uh, I usually define technique as the ability to make the right sound at the right time. So it means that it applies to anything that you want to convey on the instrument. You need to have the technical ability to do so. And now in terms of uh, basics, uh, I think that uh, very often we are so caught up with important things about uh, expression, about how to shape a phrase, about, uh, you know, a, a bigger musical context, um, that it's sometimes hard to come back to those simple little things that will unlock, you know, certain things for us. Uh, and that's why, why I phrased uh, the topic that way. I feel it a lot in my own playing that whenever I come across a thing that doesn't quite go the way that I want it to, it's usually related to something very basic. Uh, it could be something in the setup, could be something in the right hand, in the left hand. Um, and usually as soon as I identify that spot and deal with that, then that enables me to concentrate on more interesting things, meaning artistic expression. And yeah, and so, so that has been uh, my experience for many years and I still continue discovering uh, that part of, of approaching the cello every day. So we need to have something basic like obviously a building block from which we can build upon now i know that recently you've performed uh, frank bridge's oration with the Ulster orchestra you've written for us on the strad.com about how it's you know not a commonly performed piece and you have to make i imagine a lot of the time your own artistic choices can you give me an example from that piece of something that perhaps was a bit puzzling for you at first but 
then you manage to pinpoint a particular basic exercise or something that could help you solve that problem. Mm. I'm thinking about a very concrete situation I had when I went to Belfast now to play because we were we were playing in the rehearsal and I was not feeling comfortable for some reason um, and it took me a while to figure out what it was and uh, at a certain point I realized it had to do with the fact that the hall had a very high stage and then I was placed on a on again a quite high podium so my whole focus um, because whether you want it or not your line of sight goes down to where the audience is in a sense so my whole focus was shifted downwards and it felt it felt like I was falling onto the instrument so at a certain point I decided just to do away with the podium because anyway the stage was high enough and that suddenly you know solved some things because I was now set up the right way i was uh, feeling grounded I, I you know and and that made me feel comfortable and and these are really things that uh, it took me a while actually during the rehearsal to figure out what it was that is what i mean when i when i speak about thinking of the basics it has a lot to do with scanning your own playing and identifying that which you want to improve on so that was a very concrete situation um, in the bridge but then, of course, there's other challenges, especially in producing the right sound with the right expressivity, because it's a very expressive piece and it needs a lot of immediacy uh, in the expression. So th that had a lot to do with figuring out what to do in the bow, a lot of shaping the bow speed and, and, and the direction of the bow, and then finding the vibrato to match. And since uh, in many of the passages that shifts almost from note to note, uh, you have to be extremely flexible in, in giving this music the right shape. I like what you said about scanning your own music. You know, you have to be really aware of what it is that you're doing, you know, using all of your senses. I spoke to a, another podcast guest recently about um, not just thinking about how something looks, but how something sounds and how something feels mm. as well. And you know, interesting that just simply by being elevated a, a foot higher is enough just to make you feel not at ease. And it's not necessarily to do with playing or technique at all, but it is something that once you do rectify, then you can unlock the ability to be able to play properly. For example, if you're wanting to practice something just quite simply, do you have any particular go-to exercises, um, you know, for the left hand and for the right hand, just to make sure that your cello is sounding happy, that you're feeling happy and that everything is just going well. Yeah, yeah, I have uh, a few actually. I mean, I have uh, built sort of a collection uh, over the years of things that I found to work for me that are efficient. Mm -hmm. And um, I pick from that pool of exercises, sort of uh, depending on what I feel I need. I always like to think about the bow first because um, it's easy to get distracted by the left hand with things like <laughs> intonation and yeah and all of this is important obviously but I feel uh, much happier when I lead my playing with the bow and have the left mm. hand follow the right. So there is a series of exercises I do uh, for the bow and the main focus for me is activating the fingers. Because especially as cellists, I think it's a bit different for, for violinists, 
But as cellists, we're not really used to using that part of our hand. We can make a lot work with just using the arm, but I think that there is a certain precision in how you lead the bow that comes from the fingers. And I personally actually learned that when I played gut strings for the first time. It was something that I always wanted to try. And I remember I, I did so several times and always gave up after about 15 minutes because I, I simply couldn't make a sound. And then there was a point some years ago where I just decided to do it. I said, you're going to put on these strings and you're going to figure out how to play on them. Uh, and that was actually one of the best schools I could have asked for in terms of handling the bow because suddenly you become aware of all of the subtleties that you need to have in terms of approaching the string, making the right articulation. And there's such an, uh, an incredible flexibility in, in playing on those strings uh, that you really mm. cannot emulate with steel. Of course, they have other downsides, but in any case, that was really when I, when I started learning that. Uh, and so in terms of exercises, I think basically you can do it with just about anything as long as the focus is right. Uh, and you know what to look for in the hand. Uh, but I personally do, uh, of course, the famous Dupour 7 that Navarra always did, and he demonstrates in a beautiful video on technique uh, on YouTube. Uh, that is very helpful. So you get that kind of uh, collet stroke. And uh, mm. I do it two ways. I do it from the string and then off the string, because when you do it off the string, uh, it really forces you to get the, the right tension in the muscles. Uh, it's quite tiring. You cannot do it, I mean, or I at least, <laughs> cannot do it for long periods of time. But it gives you a very good sense of, of where things are uh, with your bow. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, I do it on scales. I do scales with uh, different bowings. And there is a wonderful uh, little book in the Galamian school where he gives you bowing patterns and also rhythmic patterns. And those you can combine one with the other. And that gives you infinite possibilities uh, to, to do scales. And, and to do that with uh, certain bow strokes in mind, uh, I think, is very helpful. The decisive part is, to me, that I define exactly what I want. So I define in whatever pattern I choose. I define what is a detaché, what is a, a slur with pure legato, what is a martelet stroke. And then make sure that what I set out to do, I reproduce as exactly as possible. That's really important, isn't it? Is just having the intention behind your practice. Because I think, I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of this, <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of other people are as well. You sit down with your instrument and you're like, da-da-da-da-da, and you just play right. kind of mindlessly. Mm. Sometimes that's quite nice. But <laughs> if you've got to get stuff done, then you've got to have intention behind your practice. So that just gives you a starting point, right? Just so that you know well, this is what I want to achieve. Now I'm going to focus on this. Absolutely. And uh, I think this is what I meant. Uh, as soon as you have get the intention right, it almost doesn't matter what exercise you do it on as long as you expect the precision in what you're set out to do. Again, the, the scales are very helpful. And then another thing that I've started doing relatively recently is uh, there's a beautiful series of uh, short little etudes by uh, Sebastian Lee the Opus 31. First of all, they're very charming little pieces that uh, just as a cute little midgetures are, are nice to play. But then also what I like to practice there is phrasing. So 
to really get the bow distribution right. Yeah, and get that clarity between the intention of the phrasing as I read it on the page and then really transferring that into how the bow moves. It's so funny that you say that because I just bought those etudes mm. quite recently um, on a trip to Cremona because I just wanted something fairly simple that I could read through. But, you know, as you say, you know, just give a bit of intention behind mm. it. And sometimes I feel like it's a bit daunting to sit down and, you know, tackle Popper 13 or mm. something because, <laughs> you know, octaves are not something that I really want to focus on right now or a lot of the time. Um, <laughs> same with Piatti Caprices. Uh, I feel like it's a lot of effort to really focus on etudes like that. But, yeah. you know, something with Sebastian Lee, it's it's simple. You can read through it, but you can make it musical. You can make it your own. And that's quite satisfying in itself. You do feel like you're making music in that way. But also working on these fundamental building blocks that we've been talking about. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, the other thing that I think helps if you approach it that way is that you sort of put the left hand, not onto autopilot exactly, but you give it something that you don't have to think about too much so you can actually mm. focus on the bow. I think that it's important to, to uh, sort of separate these things to a degree so you can really focus on what you want to focus on. You've spoken a little bit about starting with the bow, the intention behind the bow. We've been talking a little bit about being distracted by the left hand, but what sort of basic exercises would you employ if you are wanting to focus on getting the left hand, you know, really up and running? Yeah, well, what works well for me is first and foremost, uh, Feuillard, the daily exercises. I like this a lot because, and I, I usually start with these even before I play a scale because they tend to focus depending on which one you do, either on one position or, you know, maybe from first through fifth position or something like that. And it gives you, again, uh, time to focus on how the hand is set up uh, rather than having to think about immediately shifting and so on like you do with scales. Um, so it's a bit more basic, again. But it allows me to focus on, on articulation and uh, placement of the thumb and, and these little details that I, that I want to get right before moving on to the scales. And then scales, I think, are, are a very important part. I personally follow the Galamian uh, method because I do think that there's a great benefit in playing scales in a loop and then also having them change uh, rhythm while maintaining the same bowing patterns. Yeah, I find that to be extremely uh, beneficial. And so I have different ways of doing these. Uh, and then in terms of exercises, what helped me a lot was uh, when I went through the Starker book. He has this wonderful book called uh, The Organized Method of String Playing. And that deals exclusively with the left hand. And of course, in true Starker fashion, it aims to map the fingerboard so that you mm. you end up knowing uh, any conceivable position and that's very helpful but there is uh, specifically uh, some things that I would point out in that book that are very useful to learn the first is the idea of connecting these positions so he has this exercise I call it uh, the pendulum because you go from one position to the next and back so and I employ that a lot when practicing myself. So if it's about a shift that I want to get right, it's as important to know how to get there as it is to come back. 
And I often find that by practicing the way back to the original starting point, I start then really to figure out what is wrong, so to speak, with the shift that I'm doing. Because either, you know, maybe have to do with the placement of the elbow or, or something that impedes uh, fluid motion of the hand. And that's usually more apparent on the way back. Um, so it's, it's very interesting to practice in a way that shifts away to a degree from a pure focus on results. Because if we only think about how to get that note that we want to get, it narrows the vision and it narrows the, the focus uh, to a degree that you may not notice what is actually going on in, in how you move. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of a cat that runs up a tree and then gets stuck and can't come back down. It's a very good image. That does resonate with me because in the show I'm playing in at the moment, there is a point where I'm so worried about my starting note, which is the E harmonic, you know, the E at the top mm. of the treble clef. Mm. So I have to start up there and I've gotten pretty good at locating where that note is. Mm. But then coming down, coming back down to fourth position, you know, there is quite a dramatic change in the elbow placement from up high down to fourth position. And what I've noticed is that there is a little bit of time where the sound just deteriorates a little bit and that's probably because I haven't really thought so much about what my elbow is doing I've thought a lot about getting to the top but not so much about coming yeah. down the cat is stuck in the tree <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think that that kind of exercise helps a lot and then in the starker book there's also a very nice little shifting exercise that I like to do a lot that also then changes rhythmic patterns uh, which is very helpful actually for those who know the book I think all of the exercises that he calls control exercises for me those are the most interesting so mm -hmm. so there is a lot to uh, to learn there in, in how to use the left hand finally because I know you teach as well could you Tell us a little bit about how you try and instill the importance of practicing the basics, you know, all, all these things that we've mentioned with your students in their playing. Yeah, well, I mean, it's something, of course, that, that comes up uh, continuously in, in lessons. And what I really try to instill is that sort of awareness. Um, it's like you become your own engineer. In a, to a degree mm. uh, because I remember myself when I was a student there were days where you know everything felt right and then suddenly there were days where something didn't work and I didn't know exactly what it was and how to fix it and that that I think that we all know that that feeling and the better you get at fixing yourself so to speak the more secure your technique becomes and the less you will encounter these situations where something doesn't go your way and you don't know what mm. to do about it. So that kind of uh, consciousness uh, while playing, uh, scanning, as I call it, you know, your, your own playing and uh, trying to find out how things feel and what you could do to make them feel better, potentially. That is, of course, something that I, that I then point out in the lessons. Uh, but apart from that, I think it's important to build certain routines. So I, I encourage my students to build technique routines at the start of their practice day. I mean, it's nothing really uh, unheard of, but I think it's, yeah. it's then when it comes down to really sticking to it, that's a different story. Um, I think we would all agree that in theory, that idea sounds great. 
but we don't always feel like doing so in the morning. So um, <laughs> that's what I what I really try to encourage them uh, to do. And then, uh, of course, I provide exercises. I I share what works for me, but I at the same time I encourage them to also find out for themselves what works, yeah. um, because that sense of creativity when solving problems in practice at the instrument that is extremely important and if mm. you simply just follow a routine that the teacher gave you that may be a good starting point that but it will not enable you to solve your own issues really i think it comes down to that certain mindset to understand how the body moves and what are the principles at hand that are beneficial it's these concepts i think that are important because each player will look different the iteration uh, of of the concept will look different with everybody but i think there mm -hmm. are some fundamental principles in how we sit at the instrument how we move right and left that do help with certain things and i think it's good to understand these yeah setting students up with good habits and as we've said many times before on this podcast teaching students to teach themselves so that eventually you know you realize that the teacher's merely a guide but they're not going to be there for the rest of mm. your life so you have to find your own way and you have to listen to yourself listen to your body listen to your own intentions and find your own path in that way I feel like we could talk about this topic forever <laughs> because it's, <laughs> it's really super interesting. But Gabrielle, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on basics with us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. That was Gabrielle Schwaber. You're listening to an excerpt of Frank Bridges' oration, which was mentioned in the chat from Gabriel's recently recorded album. And you'll find details on that in the show notes, as well as his articles he's written exclusively for thestrad.com on this lesser-known cello concerto. And as always, don't forget to check out thestrad.com, where you'll find the latest news, articles, and reviews on all things to do with string playing. If you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. There's 50% off an online subscription for students, and if you're not sure you're ready to subscribe, take out a free trial for seven days, start reading right away, no strings attached. If you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or a rating, it will help other people discover the podcast. Thank you for listening, and tune in again soon for another episode. Take good care, bye!